and I want to invite your attention to our last message in this series, The Kingdom Culture Family. And this one is, is taking the route of, of being anchored in truth and why this is so important and how do you integrate that into the life of your family. How is that, how is that made applicable in the life of the family? Now, it was this great truth that led Martin Luther um, to realize that the church itself as a, as a whole, as an institution, was not the final authority, but was indeed the final authority was the truth of Scripture. And so that was what he stood on as he nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of Wittenberg. And um, he, he was not wanting to cause um, um, a stir as, as it did, but it did. <laughs> And he, he, he boiled down the Christian life as a basis of truth and a, a rule of faith and practice as being coming from Scripture. So you have solo, you have solo deo gloria for the glory of God alone that we live. For Christ alone, solo Christus, by grace, solo gratia. By faith alone, sola fide, for the glory of God alone. And all of this were principles that were found in Scripture that led Martin Luther to a place of from trusting in himself and his justification before God, his self-justification before God, to being justified by Christ, by grace through faith. Now, that is a fundamental, basic Christian doctrine that we are saved by grace through faith and it is not of ourselves, it is not of works or anything that we could boast about. But it is indeed the gift of God that is merely received. It isn't worked for, it isn't earned. Now, that being said, how do you integrate that into the life of your family? Where that the kids or the grandkids, they catch it, they get it, they recognize that. Well, I, there, there are some things that I believe that we can do, and that is we can, can have a Christ-centered home. Um, and we'll look at some of those. The kingdom culture family should be shaped by prayer for the glory of God, Christ alone in the unifying center in a loving environment of grace alone where it's lived out in relationships and a culture that fans the flame of faith alone and being anchored in Scripture alone. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about my, my raising and I cannot tell you that I had one conversation I can't at least remember one conversation that I had um, either with particularly my stepdad because that was my growing up years. I, I didn't have one conversation on the importance of the Bible. We, I don't ever remember Papa and I sitting down and talking as we talked about the scheme of things in life. And he was a pastor of of him saying, you know, the Bible is really important, Greg. He never, I never did hear him say that. 
I never did hear him say, you know, you really need to be reading your Bible, son. I never heard him say that. But I want to tell you a a vivid memory that I have. He had a recliner that sat in the corner next to a lamp. And he had a Thompson chain reference Bible that was sitting right next to a scanner on the end table there. And I can tell you practically every single day as I would walk into the kitchen from the kitchen into our living room he would be sitting there and he would have his Bible laid open and this just hit me the other day is that I saw him with an open Bible a lot of the time and it was sitting there and it was nothing that he said I said well what are you reading about today and we'd talk about what he was reading and he did, his, he did a lot of his study there. He did his devotions there. And I'm thinking, wow, when my biological father was saved at an age of 40, he left us, and mom told us this, he left us with a Bible. And I didn't know his testimony. I knew that, that God brought him and delivered him from, from a lot of things. But the reality of what he left us was a marked-up Bible. Never had a conversation with him about the importance of reading the Bible or the role that the Bible would play in our lives. But I want you to know that this thing about our families being anchored in the truth is not only pertinent and relevant but it's, it's more than just taught, it is caught. In other words, your kids, the kids, your grandkids, they catch it. And again, like I say, I never heard a lesson, never heard a, a, anything that would relate to the importance, but we knew that the Bible was important to our life. Well, the question today is, is it important? Are we to live in a time, in this time, of sola scriptura? And I believe that if if there's ever a time for the scripture to be of, of great value in our lives, it is the time that we're living in, particularly the time that we're living in. I want to start this message from a practical standpoint. And that is, we need, we need an anchor for, us, for the soul. You need an anchor for the soul. And your children particularly and your grandchildren desperately need an anchor for the soul. Because there are so many voices in culture today that are speaking, that are speaking into our lives. From media, from TV, from all the media interactions that we have. There, and, and there's so many worldviews of ways of looking at life and reality that are speaking into our lives today. And I just want to ask you, who's speaking into your life? You know, I'm so thankful, and, I'm, and Jeff said it so wonderfully, all the, all the influences of godly men in his life And I can look back in my own life, and I had my parents, and I had other people that spoke into my life. 
And what did they speak? Well, you know, I knew that they were that they were people and the men of God particularly who who had a love for God and a love for his word. It is word is life changing. It is life changing. And the relevancy of his word speaks truth into our life and it dispels the darkness. It dispels the darkness. Robbie Zacharias, who is a philosopher and a Christian evangelist, he says that there's basically three things that characterize the time that we're in. Now, I started hearing this back in the 80s and 90s, and it's even more relevant today. But he says basically there's, there's three influences that as you, look at, as you look at the reality of where we're at in this day and time, and when we begin to look at our need to have an anchor for our hearts, it even makes it more relevant. I mean, you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look and, and realize that, that our times are changing. And in some ways, and in many ways, not for the better. In, in many ways, we have regressed. In many ways that we have regressed, in the, especially where issues of love are concerned and the issues of how we treat our neighbor, and the issues of, of, of words that we use. And, and all of these things that we deal with in our culture today, and uh, a, growing, a, a growing, at least a growing awareness of more disrespect, and, and so forth. And we see all of this as kind of a culture that is, has evolved over a period of time. Ravi Zacharias said that there's three there's three pervasive concepts or pre or uh, not concepts but more of attitudes that have developed from this. He said the first one is a secularization, and what he means by that he's he means by that is where religious ideas and religious thoughts or the concept of, of things of scripture are are actually interpretations and in social institutions where religious ideas, interpretations, and social institutions have lost their significance in culture. And the reality of that is taking its toll in every sector of our, of our, of our culture, from education to, um, to business and commerce, you know, to all the other facets of, of, of our arts and entertainment. Where, religion, where religious ideas are pushed to the side and marginalized. So he said that's, that is a pervasive, con, that's a pervasive, that is a pervasive um, attitude. And what's happening today is that we see, we see that there is a growing secularism today that, um, that would denounce anything as, as, uh, of, of any truth that, that we find in Scripture. And what happens when you when we when you lose an overarching authority or an over or, or a, an objective truth, then you you lose something very valuable. You lose the ability of of seeing anything as sacred. And that's what Zacharias basically says. He says the problem is that when you when you when secularism moves in, all of a sudden. The things that were once sacred are no longer sacred. 
they're considered old-fashioned, they would be considered irrelevant, they would be considered something for somebody else, and it is a mindset that, that basically takes the very roots of truth out of a culture. He said the second thing is pluralism. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, pluralism. <coughs> we enjoy different, you know, different cuisines uh, as far as foods, foods groups, and that's a wonderful thing. But in the in the worldview, in the realm of worldview and ideas, here's the here's the way it, here's the way it pans out. In the realm of worldview and ideas, is that you can't really evaluate things as right or wrong or truth. There is it's all true, and so therefore, if everything's true, then the, then you can't reason it out. It's just a matter of 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 you know you you just everything's true. So it's incoherent philosophically. It's incoherent. And so you lose the ability to reason or to dialogue. You lose the ability to talk through major issues. Everything becomes, the, when there's absolutely no, nothing sacred, there's no absolute truth, then what that leads you to is a pluralization where all worldviews are just equal. Now, everybody can equally have their worldview, but every worldview should, a, should be able to stand the test of reason. In other words, you should be able to dialogue about it. You should be able to talk about it. And you should be able to come up to, with some conclusions. He said the third one is this, and that is the privatization. And what he means by this is the privatization of religion. He, said, he says, basically, when religious worldviews along with morality is run out of the public square, we lose meaning. And what we do is we, lift, we leave meaning to be found in our own private lives somehow to be worked out. Now that is the pervasive, that is the pervasive culture that we, cultural climate that we have today. According to Ravi Zacharias. And that leaves us with with a loss of with the loss of ability of finding any sort of overarching meaning in life, and yet we are geared to look for it. We are geared to look for it in the in the cultural climate of uncertainty. Our heart cries out for some things that are secure, some anchors, something that will hold us. When the gales of life blow against our blow against us, and that leads us to something because God hasn't changed and His word have, hasn't changed. It leads us again to the Scripture. The Bible is the anchor of truth that does two things: it guards our hearts and it guides our steps. It guards our hearts and it guides our steps. It is an anchor of truth that anchors our life into the truth of God. And it's interesting that Time Magazine said that the, the word for the day of 2016 was post-truth. In other words, we're living in a post-truth era. We can't even determine if there's such a thing as truth. Now you're hurting. Because if you can't, dis, if you can't, dis, 
have it leads to confusion. It leads to a lack of discretion in our lives. It leads to it leads down a road where we can't make really any kind of informed decisions. It's left to, we're left to figure it out on our own and without any sort of guideline even to our own life. And God didn't leave us in the dark. He's spoken into our lives. I want you to think about this. When God speaks, he brings, he brings life, he brings light and life. God, in his spoken word, created ex nihilo, out of nothing. Our world, the universe, all around us. By his spoken word, God speaks. And when God speaks, he speaks life. And where he speaks life, he dispels darkness. Your best friend on earth is somebody who speaks truth into your life. True. The person that speaks truth into your life and they do it with love. Now, listen, I've heard a lot of people speak truth sometimes and I've seen it devoid of love. Have you? And you say, well, that's true, but I sure didn't like the source that it came from, <laughs> you know. But God has a way, God has a way of ripping down to the, ripping through all this veneer that we place around our heart. And all these terminology and all these things, and he rips right down and gets to the heart of where we're at. And then he speaks his truth and like a, and like a, like, like a lancing. Something like a, a wound that has been filled with corruption. He lances it and lets it drain, cleans it up, and then he puts the salve of truth on it and heals you up. It's the power of his word. Who has and who are you giving the right to speak truth into your life? And I'm asking you, who is speaking truth in your life? What are you listening to? The culture's got plenty of voices to say, this is the way. But God's word has a way. I'm going to tell you something. When I got saved, when I trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, something happened radically in me. I fell in love with God and with Christ. I'm like, man, this is something. You know, it's a newfound relationship. And man, I could not get enough of this book. And as many books as I've read in my life, I mean, I started reading Aristotle in the seventh grade because I thought it was cool. But Aristotle didn't say anything like this. I would read I, these pages, the, the words from this page would, would leap off the page, not like literally, but I mean like, Whoa. And I realized that these words are spiritually discerned. When you have a relationship with the author of the book and you know him, this book becomes alive. And if you don't, it looks like dead words of just religious people. In other words, these things are spiritually discerned. 
And Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised of this. The same truth that was revealed to many was concealed to others. So Jesus taught in parables. Some people got it. Some people never did get it. But God, notice this, God speaks into our lives. So when God speaks, there's truth. So we had the, we had the revelation of Scripture over 1,600 years, 40 books, numerous authors from various backgrounds. And this word becomes literally God-breathed. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It is God-breathed. He breathed into man the breath of life in the garden paradise after he made Adam and Eve. He breathed into them, he breathed into him life. And then Jesus comes along the living word of God, the same God who spoke universe into existence, came and was born a little baby. In other words, God can do the big things and God can come down in an embryo. And become God in the flesh. And Jesus spoke the words of life and the words of truth. For many it was words that would bring to their own condemnation. And for others it was the words of life that brought healing and strength and life and hope. The power of the reality of, of, the, of the Scripture. And so Jesus come not to destroy the law or even the Word of God. He came in fulfillment as the living Word. You want to see what the Word of God looks like? Look at the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus. And here's what the Bible does. It does four things. And I want you to look at these. The Bible anchors life in reality. Now, notice just how I said that. Here's one of the, here's one of the ways that I, you know, this kind of relates to me. I, I recognize this. It's, notice this in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Because that which was known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power, the Godhead, so we're without, so they're without an excuse. He's saying basically all man is without an excuse. The Bible anchors us in the reality of the human nature. I never will forget, I was talking to a man one time was, who was bemoaning all the evil in the world. I said, you know what, it's not a surprise to God. The, listen, the Bible will, will get, gives us insight into the nature of man you're surprised in all the things you see in our culture today? If, you, if you're really in tune with the Scripture, Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. He knew that the heart was desperately wicked. He knew that men's lives were sinful. And, and sometimes our own sin blinds us from even seeing our own sin. Therefore, we need a source outside of ourselves that will actually... That, that actually the heart can relate to to say this is not right and God has given us that conscious and when that conscious is informed with truth then all of a sudden you find that you have a you have a a great GPS system in in your in, an internal mechanism within you that will set your feet on in the right way of reality why because your feet will take you where your heart is directing you so therefore the Bible says Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. 
See, out of your heart follows your careers. It follows your words. Your words is, and how, you, how we use our words is a great revelation of our own heart. It, it re, just reveals our heart. It reveals what's going on in the inside of us. So God comes down with His Word and He kind of he does open heart surgery on people's hearts that have been hardened and calloused by the things of this world and by their own nature. So a person that stands in front of the Word of God and says, Lord, conform me to your thoughts and to your truth. And then set a guard around my healed heart that I can walk in your ways. God can use you. God can do great things in your life. Listen, you don't have to experience a lot of the heartache that many people in the Bible experience. You say, well, I want to experience some life. Yeah, you can experience some life right, really. Some of you have experienced life. Some of us have experienced life and choices. We could say, man, I wish I hadn't have said that. I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I had taken a different direction there. I wish that I hadn't have been there at that, in, the, in the wrong place at the wrong time. I wish that I, my heart had been directed toward that. When your heart has been given to Christ and in His Word, if you will trust Him, He will lead you in His truth. And His truth, listen, his tr He will always lead you in the ways of truth. It will lead you in the way of, of, of Christ, in a way that's honoring to God, in a way that, 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 listen, in a way that you can be the maximum person that God has created you to be. But it comes, as, it comes, it comes with this price of seeing our heart in the mirror and saying, oh God, help me, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I need, I need the living Christ. You see, the closer I get to God, the more I realize how inept and how sinful I really am. It really is a real eye-opener. That there's nothing really within me that can make myself justified before God. It is all in Christ. So the Bible anchors us in reality. You know, one of the things that I find real interesting about the Bible, and I'm thinking, David let us in on his struggles. You know, Psalmist David, King David. Here's a political leader. His life was strewn with great, great victories. I mean, you know, the, he dealt with Goliath and he fought bears and lions and tigers and all kinds of things and yet here's a man who who messed up by being by not being on the battlefield one night and on his rooftop and he let his eyes take him some places that they should not go and then his heart was drawn into it and he found himself he found himself in a situation where he gave in to temptation and we see the story of his life and the bible doesn't kind of skirt this and say we'll just leave this part out you know, if you'd have been writing your life story, you'd say, let's just don't talk about that. But the Bible says, oh yeah, the affair. And he sends Nathan the prophet to David. You remember that? In other words, in other words, when you look at the Bible, man, you see the people with all their flaws. It's rugged. It's ragged. The roll call of faith, I'm like, and they made it in the roll call of faith? 
Do you look at their lives? Do you see what their lives were strung with? What They just wanted to experience life, and they did. And they recognize, you know, and, and that's the thing I think the Scripture is saying. You know, you can take that approach. I would rather just look back and read about David's life rather than having the experience of it. How about you? I'm fine with watching his experience to know <laughs> that that's a route that I don't want to go down. Right? See, the Bible roots life into reality. And that's what you see when you see the Bible. In the, in the Old Testament stories and New Testament, you see people that had it together. You see people that had faithfulness to God. And then they would kind of fall into rebellion. And all of a sudden, this cycle of judgment, would, God would, in His mercy and grace, would come and say, hey, you can't live that way. You know, there is moral law. I, I, this thing has been set up with morality because I am a holy God. So the Bible roots us in the reality of God and the reality of human nature. And, and when I begin to look at the, the Bible from this standpoint, you see, the, the Bible says this about Jesus. Jesus said that he trusted, he, he didn't trust his heart to no man. He knew that, he knew what, and the scripture says, he knew what was in the heart of men. In other words, Jesus wasn't really surprised that Peter denied him. And Judas betrayed him. He wasn't surprised that they were having arguments of who was going to be greatest in the kingdom as he was doing all these miracles and all these things. They were looking at it from their own self-centered, selfish point of view. And that's all that mattered to them. Why? Because their hearts, their hearts had been taken over by the things of the kingdoms of this world. They hadn't even gone down to do the self-assessment of the heart. They hadn't gone to Dr. Jesus for all their heart maladies. The reality of their lives and their own blindness. Peter cried out, Lord, you know, these guys may betray you, these guys may fall away, but I will never deny you. And what was the first thing that he did? Now most of us would have written Peter off. We would have just written him off and all the other disciples. You know, they failed him, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. Think about that. Aren't you glad? We see mercy and grace. You say, man, I failed. Maybe you've got one of these stories. I'm glad that he's the God of grace and mercy and grace and mercy over and over and over and over. It's new every morning. Hallelujah. And there's great news here. You say, well, that's my story, man. That's my experience. I've failed and I've failed and I've failed. And over and over again, well, he's good news. He's the God of grace and mercy. It's new every single morning you wake up. It's new. So the Bible anchors, anchors life into reality. I want to tell you something. The most relevant book in our day that is just as current or more current than the morning newspaper is this Bible. Anchor yourself in the reality of it. In the reality of it. Number two, the Bible anchors down the inescapable questions of human experience. Here's some questions you have. You have some longings in your life. You're a young person, you have some longings. You say, you know what, I think I'd, I'd like to date, or I think I'd like to be married one day, or I'd like to have children, or I think I'd like to have a career, or I think I would like to 
to this. And it also deals with the perplexing questions that we have. Lord, why did, why did you allow somebody that I love to be taken so soon? I've had that question. Eternity is set in your heart. And you ask the inescapable questions. God, why? And God's, God's amazingly and seemingly silent. He doesn't give us answers that satisfy the mind. But he does give us something. He gives us himself through it. So the Bible anchors down the inescapable questions of human experience. Who you are. Where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you going in your life? All of those are questions that you have in, about the human life. And the Bible anchors down those inescapable questions better, and listen, better than any other world religion. It answers these questions of who, I, who am I? And it says that you are created with value and worth, but fallen. But fallen, why? Because of sin and the sin nature. And the, and the reality of, of who you are, being created in the image of God, meaning that you have been created with, with a great value to the Father who desires to have relationship with you. He is knowable and personable. He's more than just a religious figure or a figurine that you set on your shelf. No, this God is personal. He's not far off, as the deist would say, and not... And not inclined to what we're dealing with. No, he is. On the contrary, he's a God who allows suffering in our lives, and we don't understand the why. And so I've asked the question of why more than once in my life. And yet, he's the God who walks with us in the pain of all of that. The nail prints in his hands are a reminder, and the scars that he faced in this life, the nail prints in his hand remind us that he's the God who walks with us in lonely places. He walks to a lonely garden. He walks to a lonely hill. He feels rejection of men. He feels, he feels even a spiritual desolation as, as his father turns his back on him. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus. So the reality, all of this anchors us down to the reality of life and the inescapable questions. It anchors the third thing, the heart and the mind, the truth. Heart and mind. Reason, the ability to, to think. It, in other words, God doesn't say, okay, trust me, have blind faith. No. It's not a blind faith in God. It is, it is truth in the reality of the person and the precepts, the precepts of Scripture and the truth of the person of, of Christ. And Jesus said it this way, you shall know the truth and the truth will do what? It will set your heart free. Your heart is bound up by so many things, fears, anxiety, sin. All bound up in this person, this living person who came in human history and point in time. He sets the heart free. Truth. The greatest, the greatest aspiration that you can have is to learn and know Christ. Know Him intimately. Know Him personally. The power and reality is the Bible anchors the heart and the mind. It's more than just a cerebral thing. It's more than just a thing of the mind. I mean, demons believe that there is one God. 
and they fear and tremble, by the way. But their hearts are far from him. I have known people in my life that, that knew the Bible front and back. But they didn't want to live for him. They didn't, they didn't want God in their... They really they could quote scripture. And for in many cases, better than many people that claim faith. But they didn't, it, it didn't connect with the heart. And what's amazing is, is, that, is that God doesn't leave a disparity between the head and the heart. In other words, it makes sense to the heart and the experience, and it makes sense in the mind for those who trust Him by faith. It's a powerful truth and a powerful reality that God has spoken into our lives. His Word. So that's, again, why it is sola scriptura. It is, it is that the Bible is authority. Now listen, you will have, there will be some, something will have the final authority in your life. It will be your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, what you feel about something, or what other people input to you and their opinions. You say, well, that's a pretty good argument, so I'll buy that one as truth. And so I kind of, we're living in a day that we, it's kind of like we're going to the buffet of truth, and we'll say, I think I'll take a little bit of that truth over there, and a little bit of this truth over here, and this truth over here, and this little truth over here, and this is me, and this is defines me, and this is my truth. The problem with that, that you know, is you can't pick and choose truth. Now, truth picks and chooses you. It causes us to examine our heart. It's a mirror to the heart. It's like cutting, cutting down to the bone, the marrow of our life, to the really what really matters. It cuts down to what people can't see. It cuts down into motives. It cuts down into the attitudes that are surfaced that reveal heart. It cuts down into all of that. And notice here, when, and, and I'm, I'm just going to ask you, have, have you allowed Jesus into those areas? Does, does he have the freedom to speak truth into your life, or have you shut that door years ago? See, I want to tell you something. You're healing in your own life, in your own experience, maybe when you open that door and say, okay, Jesus, you come into this closet and you clean it out and you clear it up and, and you do your work of cleansing in it and you may find yourself a walking brand new person. Why? Because you simply let Jesus into another area of your life. We oftentimes can hold Jesus at bay. And we do it when, and what we do is we're holding the truth and the reality of His Word, wanting to speak into our lives to not only make us whole, but to make us know life and know it more abundantly. Powerful truth. Here's the last one. You worried about your future? God's not. He's got it planned out. Can you say amen to that? He does. The Bible anchors the certainty of your future and it's in the person of His Son. It's in Christ. Paul said it this way in the English Standard Version. If you've then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, He said. Not on things of this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, 
shall appear. You will appear with him. Where? In glory. God's got your future. You say, you know where the future's going? Yeah, buddy. I've read the end of the book. <laughs> Do you believe it? Absolutely. I am more, listen, I am more convinced now than I was at the tender age of 15. More convinced. More reasons to stand on the truth of the reality of who God is. Why? Based on the revelation of His Scripture. You say, well, there's people that say that there's so many, you know, how do we know all this? And I know there's all kinds of doubters and so forth and people that make all kinds of claims. But when you really begin to really, really study it, and you begin to see the truth and reality of it, it connects together really well. Because our God is not a discombobulated glob of just ideas. That's why, listen folks, that's why when you come here, you hear a message from the Bible. You don't hear a, you don't hear a serendipity from a pastor that may, may or may not believe it. That's the way of theological liberalism through the most of the of the 20th century. Many people didn't, many pastors even, didn't even believe that the Bible was the Word of God. It's all, maybe portions of it are, you know, but what about all of it? You know, if, if you can doubt one little part of it, maybe all of it's wrong. Now, it, it speaks into our life. It speaks into our life with relevancy, with power, and with staying power that changes our lives. I understand why the devil doesn't want it. You know, you think about when Jesus was being tempted. Man, I am just now getting wound up. But when Jesus was in the garden, in, or when he was praying in, in the wilderness and he was being tempted, what did, he, what, did he, what did he fight the devil with? It is, well, this is my opinion, Mr. Devil. No, he took him to the Word. He took him to the life-giving, life-breathing Word of God that sets demons to running. The power and reality of His Word, my friend, is the power and reality of truth that sets a guard to your heart and set your feet to a right way uh, that is pleasing to God. And I want to tell you, not only pleasing to God, but most satisfying for life because God's the God of life and far from God taking away fun in your life my oh my oh my he brings a great joy that you begin to enjoy all the things of God right man I tell you I don't know of anybody that enjoys playing guitar more than Chris Rose and I enjoyed watching him play today because I saw, I, I saw, I mean, he, he's eating his notes as a musician. He's, he's the, I'm like, wow. And I'm like, God, thank you. I know, I know where it comes from. I know, I know who you give glory for it. And I'm thinking, okay, can a guitar note bring glory to God? Can it? You bet. I look at our praise band, and, and you're looking here at our praise band, and, and, and it's intergenerational. Have you noticed that? 
How many of you noticed that, by the way? Do you know, let me just tell you, I'm just going to brag on us a little bit. Now, this is different. Most churches, you have to audition. There is a deliberate intergenerational, that's why our children are up here during, why, you know why our children are here during service? We want them here in service because they're a part of it. They're a part of it. In other words, it's time for families to come together, and it doesn't have to be perfect in our way of thinking. But I'll tell you what God is really interested in. He's really interested in the hearts of our children and the hearts of mom and dad. And when we come together as the family of God to bring praise to God, and our hearts are in that, given to him, I'm telling you it's worship in heaven. And a note can be flat, but it won't be flat in heaven. God's got an auto picture up there. It's harmony, right? I'm telling you, there's some things that are deliberate, that are intentional, that we, you know, that, that are, and as you're sitting out here today, our, our children are, are hearing Bible lessons as well, but for most of our worship, they're right in here with us. And when they get to like sixth grade, guess where they're at? Right here. That's intentional. That's, that's not just out of convenience. You know, our kids are not just something that we just kind of baby. They're a part of our worship. Hallelujah, Greg. Right? Hallelujah that, that, that God, you know, the first thing that God created. I am sorry, folks. I am just now getting wound up here on this thing. But I want you to think about this, and I'm going to close. It's deliberate, it's intentional, and it brings, it's intergenerational, it brings the family together, and it will connect in their young... That's why Levi connected God to what he heard here. He wanted to come up here and wanted to speak about God. He's three years old. Where does it come from? It comes from a fact of, you know, being here for one thing, but it comes from a fact of consistency. It begins to connect. And you know what? As a pastor, that's what I want. 